So our text for tonight is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and really verse 6 and following. But before we get to it, I just want us to have a think about Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And uh, Jesus tells us about him in Luke 19. He had just had this encounter with Jesus, like we talked about last week. One of repentance that affects everything. So he had genuine repentance that affected his head, his heart, his hands. And Zacchaeus, the tax collector, in uh, verse 8 of chapter 19 of Luke's Gospel, he, he says this, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Half of my possessions. So this, this is a pretty big response to repentance. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So he's not going to have a whole lot left. Like he's... He's really trying to put in action repentance. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So out of this context, back in Luke 19, and it's a context of exuberant, joy-filled, uninhibited generosity and thankfulness. Like Zacchaeus has encountered God through Jesus... And he's just ready to give anything. Um, out of that context, Jesus says, Right, the time is perfect for me to give you a parable. And he gives the story of the ten miners. And this is not the you know, guys that go down into the, into the ground, the miners. The ten miners, M-I-N-A-S. Um, and a miner is three months' wages. Okay, three months' wages. And Jesus tells a story about... Packets of three months of wages. So he tells his parable, um, and he says, Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once, he said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king, and then return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten miners. So ten lots of three months wages. Well, one to ten people. Put this to work, he said, until I come back. Now, Jesus is referring here to himself, the one who will die, rise again, and return to heaven in the ascension to be crowned king of the cosmos, and then one day return again in his second coming to judge the world. So that's what, I guess, the parable is really about. But this is what he continues to say. Verse 14. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. That's not bad going, isn't it? Like ten times, tenfold. And Jesus says back, or the, the, the king says back, Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Ever thought, why on earth is he talking about cities? I think there's a connection here to the new creation. I think there's a connection to when we die, and those of us who have faith in Christ rise again, and heaven joins earth, and there's a new creation on this earth. There's stuff that goes on. It would make sense to me that 
part of the rewards of new creation are management, leadership, uh, stewardship. Maybe Jesus is actually saying, here, look after a couple of cities. Literally, if I can trust you with small things, there are huge jobs to be taken care of in the new creation. Maybe. I, I, I think that that's not too far from the truth. So then verse 20, Jesus goes on and says, Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your miner. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. It's a bizarre part of the Bible, isn't it? Sir, they said, he already has ten. And he replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Now just press pause and think, what on earth is Jesus talking about? Like this is Jesus, the smartest guy who ever lived. It's God in human flesh. And he decides to tell this little story. I think what he is talking about is a principle of the kingdom. And it's simply this. When God gives us blessings, he expects us to give that blessing away. <coughs> Don't you reckon? Isn't that fair to say? That the principle is, Genesis 12, 1-3. God comes to Abram and says, I'm going to bless you, Abram. Why? So that you would be a blessing to all nations. That's the way it works. I give you so that you could receive and then pass it on. So that's, that's the way this principle of the kingdom works. Now, with that in the back of our mind, the, the fact that blessing is for the sake of others. Who would like to come and read for us 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 15? Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed, and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this undescribable gift. So 
So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6 to 15. Paul planted the church that he's writing this letter to some years before. We know that. It's in Corinth. And he's journeyed with them for some years. He's left them to go on with their own devices. He's gone off on his missionary way, sent them several letters, challenged them about their lifestyle, which has been somewhat debauched. And the grace of God has been there. He's sent uh, co-workers to, to go to him, uh, to them, Titus and Timothy, along the way. Um, and as the years have gone by, they discovered that there was a massive famine in Judea. So this real-life history Non-Christian writers tell us there was a terrible famine around this time, middle of the first century in Judea. And in other New Testament books, the Apostle Paul is travelling around that sort of Mediterranean area and he's collecting um, offerings to take back to the Apostles in Jerusalem to dish out aid for the people who were really seriously um, suffering. And on an earlier occasion... Paul is there in uh, Corinth, which is down the south of Greece on the coast, and he's telling them about the famine, and in one of their sort of good moments, they're saying, you know what we should give? Yes, sign us up for this amount. Well, that's generous, Paul says, because you can read about this all in chapter 8. This is what he says. It's sort of odd to read it, because it's exactly how I'm describing. Um, They all get excited about this offering. So Paul says, awesome, can I you know, put you down, basically, a pencil it in, that you'll be giving us this much. But yep, we, we are in, no worries. So then he goes up to Macedonia, Macedonia, which is in the north of Greece. And he's there for a while, and this is where we pick up. He's writing back to them ahead of time. He's saying, guys, um, I've been boasting about your generous pledge. I'm in Macedonia, I'm going to come down... Um, Obviously, it's a bit of a uh, challenge to take a whole bunch of money halfway across the Mediterranean. I need some helpers from Macedonia. They're coming with me. We're going to arrive. And I'm going to like have egg on my face, and so will you, if we get there and you're all stingy. Like, you just haven't done it. You've let me down. Like, you, you know, you've done the incest thing. You've done the leadership challenge. You, you, I, I'm proud of you, but... And that's exactly how you read it. On one hand, he's so proud, like last week, he's so proud. But you read chapter 8, he's like, but still, guys, you've let me down. So that's the context that there's an offering to be taken. He's in Macedonia in the north. He's nervous about coming down to them, that they would actually be generous. And that's the context of this, where he says, remember this, guys, in Corinth, the church that I planted and who have given me so many headaches... Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. In layman's terms, what is Paul saying? Guys, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Don't you reckon? He's saying, if you want to be in on a generous reaping of a harvest, you've got to be in there. You've got to have skin in the game. You've got to have put seed in the ground. And that's simply it. So that's worth jotting down in your brain. If I want to be amongst stuff that's good, I have to get involved. I'm not going to get a sense of enjoying the spoils of victory in the kingdom if I'm not part of it. And then so Paul writes on, uh, goes on in verse 7 and says, 
Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, when Paul writes in verse 7, each of you, I think that's a really empowering statement. Each of you. Because we're all different. We're so different in the access to resources. At night, you guys have different resources that you can access to people who are maybe in the morning. They've got more life experience to access than, than most of us here. Um, there are all sorts of differences. Um, we have different access to time, money, assets, wisdom, all sorts of resources. Yet we have access to the same God. Amen. We have access to the same gospel. So we can share that stuff in the same way, but we have very different levels of resources. And as I reflect on this, I think, wow, isn't it great to know that in the economy of God, in the economy of God, He sees more than the resource. When He looks at us, He doesn't see the bank card, the, the bank account, and go, oh, that's what you've got to draw from. He doesn't look at how much life experience you have. And I know this because of that awesome story when Jesus is in the temple courts and he's watching the rich people. And just Don't just let this run over you. Think about it. God in human flesh is actually here. And he's watching people. He's people watching. He's like, I've been doing this all eternity. Okay, yes, here we go again. The rich people come. They're making a big noise about putting the offering in. And then the angels in heaven hear the Son of God, God in human flesh, go, Whoa, would you check that out? And the disciples go, What? The master just got freaked out by something. And the angels in heaven are going, Hey, did you hear that? Jesus just got excited about something. It's got to be good. So all of heaven and the disciples are looking and they go, And what do they see? The Bible says a poor widow put something in the offering. It's just the coolest story. Like that's what grabs Jesus' attention. And he goes, oh, check this out, guys. That is the best offering I've seen in ages. Because she gave everything out of her impoverished state. And that tells me God is not looking at how much we've got. What is he looking at? He's looking at our heart. He's looking at the passion. That's why he's like, I'm not even interested if you don't want to give it. Who gives our rats? I don't care about how much you put in. I want to know if you're passionate about it. I want to know if you are joy-filled about investing in the kingdom of God. Let's face it. Even the most frugal amongst us. You know what frugal means? Um, you're miserly with your money. There will be something that if we grabbed your credit card statement or your bank statement, it will head in a certain direction. Don't you reckon that's fair to say? There's something that you love to spend money on. And once you've done your Google Yards and your research, you think it's a bargain, but someone else who's not into that hobby goes, oh, how did you spend that much money on that? You're like, oh, that is a bargain. That's half price. It doesn't matter how much it costs when you're passionate about it. Yes? Yeah. 
passionate about living with an eternal perspective. We need to be passionate about the stuff that really matters in life. Personally, I think it's really good to be passionate about other stuff as well. Because without hobbies, you can't connect to anyone on this earth. <laughs> like, you've got to be into stuff. Get passionate. Sometimes it takes money to put into that, and that's all good. But just don't let it be an idol. I think Jesus is talking about, and Paul is talking about, getting a sense of the kingdom of God and wanting to have skin in the game. Wanting to be part of it. Paul writes, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that, I love these little lines, in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Because we think, oh, I'd love to be generous, but I just, I can't, like, sometimes I can't be. And I, but Paul writes, all things, all times, all you need. All things, all times, all you need, you could abound in good works. I have noticed that the natural tendency, and this is obvious, I'm stating the obvious, human beings want to jump on a winner once it's been declared a winner. Here's a tip. A good investment will not have everybody's paws all over it. Um, a guy uh, I know who's fantastic at development in real estate, he says, you never buy something that's in a real estate agent's shop window because it's got hairs on it. Like, it's, it's old, right? It, you, you've got to get on an investment earlier than that. And, and I have found this in the kingdom, in church. Um, some of you know this story, but we, where we were before coming to Hornsby Baps, we were there for nearly 19 years and we had this opportunity to, to do a bit like what we're doing, but it was done differently. We sold our old block of ground and we found a factory and it was a, a huge space. It was, it was three times the footprint of what we're doing up there with the residential tower. So that's 2,000 square metres. We bought something that had 6,000 square metres undercover. So it was, it was really exciting. I only say that because of how exciting it is to stand at the front corner and look back over 6,000 square metres of undercover space. And we ended up getting into that in about 2000 or 2001, we got into the front one-tenth of it. And we'd have all these people come and, you know, kick tyres at the church, as in, check out the church. And I'd go, oh, wait until you see the vision through that door, and I'm really good at sharing it, so come with me. I've got a deal for you. Like, you want to be part of this. And we go there, and I show them all the toilets everywhere and where the sports centre would be. And, and then at the back, the end, I used to love this. You'd just be walking forever. And then I'd go, you want to see our car park? And you open the car park, and there's 150 car spaces. <laughs> and they're like, wow. And then they wouldn't come back. <laughs> now, I guess I might be a bit too much. <laughs> too much of a good thing, I mean. But... I just, I watched this happen again and again and I thought, wow, not many people want to be in on it in the ground level. Not many people want to do the hard yards. There was 18 months or two years of hard work. And you know what most people are thinking? They're going to ask me for money. This isn't going to come cheap. They are going to ask me for money. So what they do and what we watch happen is they go away and then when... The last lick of paint is done, and the last asbestos dust is cleaned up, they all turn up, 
Check this out. This indoor sports center. Awesome. We love all this stuff. Oh, I'm a musician. Oh, I see you've got great gear. They don't ask the question that people that are in their 70s have paid for that gear. They've given. We were part of the ones who gave. We gave all our savings because we believed in it. And then what I, and I've told you this before, but what I watched in the next five to ten years was the church grew about 70 of us when we were doing this vision. I counted up this morning, we had about 65 left in the service after the kids went home. I went, well, we're getting close. <laughs> Numbers are going that way. Because it's hard to grow when you're in this phase. People don't see the vision. And uh, what I watched happen over five to ten years is people came and came. So many people joined the church. And of course, there's a big sense of momentum. People love to be on a winner. And they joined the church. <clears throat> and the really great kingdom people who got skin in the game later said, you know what? We're just sad that we weren't part of it in the early days. We would have loved to be able to be part of this whole journey and tell the stories when you didn't know it was going to win. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you're there, people don't want to do that. And um, I guess I, I just share that because I think it's what Paul is saying. God is able to bless you abundantly in all ways so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good word. But you've got to dig in somewhere. You've got to dig in. And I want to put it to you that Hornsby Baptist has an awesome, awesome opportunity. Don't get used to the blessing that is just waiting to be poured out. Leanne and I went to this just wonderful gathering of pastors and leaders that Community Church put on last Thursday. Um, it was just so great to be there with about 30 people um, up at the, their place near Bridge Road there next to the pool shop that had the fire. And they're just loving on us, giving, giving us a, a lovely meal together. And you say you're from Hornsby Baps, and they're like, wow. <laughs> and uh, awesome rock church, the um, Londoner Africans there, they're just crazy Pentecostals. And, um, and uh, her name, I think it's EJ, and she's like, we are, you're making us look so good. All the Christians in the area, we are so proud of you guys. Wow. And the others are saying, Wow, this is so cool that you're going to get this new ministry set up. We were blown away how kingdom-oriented they were. But we came away thinking, wow, we've got a really amazing resource yeah. that people would give their right like little toe for. <laughs> Maybe part of their pinky. I don't know. They give a lot. A kidney. Like people... People would give a lot to have what we have coming to us, Lord willing. Yeah. Get amongst it. Don't get to the end of this journey and go, oh, that would have been great to feel like I was in that. You can be. Verse 9, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. You know what? When, when we're aiming for being a church that's healthy, it's not so that we could have flashy lights. It's not that. It's so that we could connect well with people doing mission. Yeah. It's so that people that uh, have been hurt by the church will come to this church. And the way we do worship is done in a quality way, but it's done in an authentic way. They go, oh, sometimes I see it's flashy. You guys seem like it's really authentic. And people will cry when they come to this church yeah. because they're going to feel safe. And they've come from a divorce and they come in, they've been hurt by a church. 
Oh, my dream is they come in and they just are able to feel safe and loved. And they feel like you guys aren't afraid of the Holy Spirit, but you love the Word of God and you love to do good works. Why can't we be word signed in? Why can't we be a healthy church that loves the lost, but also does discipleship? This point here, I think, is their righteousness endures forever. That's what we have to get a hold of, that the fruit of church, even though we look broken and most of the time a farce, but just get used to that, church often feels like a farce. But we're the best God's God. Amen? Well, we're His idea. Church, read 2 Corinthians. The reason that it's a blessing is they're a bunch of losers. They are a total bunch of losers. Paul is like, you guys let me down every time. And we are too. But we cling to the grace of God. Amen? Honestly. Um, But not just as failures, as failures who get better at stuff. And use our giftedness and resources and generosity and get excited about something bigger than us. A transcendent cause. That's how you find value in life. Meaning in life. You sign up to something bigger than yourself. And do that with others and you're on a winner. A big cause, bigger than me. Something that will last forever. Where families get transformed. That's what we want to be doing. Um, This is a church with a legacy of over 114 years, and we want to continue that with fruit, with fruit. Verse 10, Paul writes, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on how many occasions? Every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So I just try to get practical as I read the Bible. I think, okay, what does it say? God gives us seed to sow and bread to eat. More seed to sow, more bread to eat. More seed to sow, more bread to eat. There's this constant interplay between God's provision for today's needs, bread to eat, And our awareness to invest into the kingdom for the future with the seeds he provides. Bread to eat, seed for the future. That's really hard for this generation coming through. Because you look at at where your money has to go. And you're like, I'm not going to be one of those givers. Because I've got to look after me. And I don't actually know the answer to that. It's tough. But... Don't let an inflated, sort of crazy, verging on evil property uh, bubble ruin your heart yeah. as people coming into that. Um, and I know that's easy for someone who's in the market um, with property. But you know what I'm saying. Sometimes you go through life and you just think, I'll never have anything to give, but let's just think of the widow's might. God's not looking at how much he's going. Are you in? Yeah. Are you committed? Do you want to be part of what I'm doing because I promise you I'll give you bread to eat I'll give you I'll supply your needs and I will give you some seeds to sow and I think in, in um, again very practical terms it's this idea of preferring others knowing that God will look after you mm-hmm. yeah. think about other people look for needs and know God's good he's going to look after me this idea of seed planting is huge in the, in the scriptures isn't it um, Jesus talks about seeds quite often in 
John chapter 12, verse 24, he says, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. How spooky would that be to have Jesus' self-understanding? And he didn't go to the cross to have his whole full back flesh taken off. He went with joy, but he didn't go without trepidation. He was afraid in the garden. So when he says... Yeah, guys, you don't understand this, but I have an intimate understanding of what this means. And, and, and unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, that's me, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Remember Jesus said, it's, it, it, I need to go so that the Spirit will come. I need to die on the cross so that you, could, you guys could have life. So it's this principle, you, you die to live, you give away to receive. You give away to receive. Mark 4, what shall we say? This is Jesus' words. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when planted it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. What are you doing with the seeds that God has given you? What are you doing with the seeds that God has given you even now? Seeds are little things filled with potential, aren't they? They don't look like what they're going to become, but they're just filled with potential. You know something you do not want to have, is that you die, and in your tributes, people talking about you, they say, yeah, look, Jonathan was a man really filled with potential. Oh, he had so much potential. He was unfulfilled. He had a lot of potential. It was almost like he had a whole bunch of seeds that he never decided to sow. I mean, no one wants that. But the Bible actually says in 2 Peter, you can live that way. You can get to the end and be like, wow, I, I had all this potential, but I actually didn't sow it. So think about this. What are the seeds likely to be? Like, What's your capacity to get into what God is doing on this earth. One thing, I heard two people talk about this today, and they have plenty to offer. Life experiences. You've been through anything hard? You've been through anything hard? God can use that. Bank it. Bank it for Him. And go, God, when, when, when you give me a platform, I'm going to share what you teach me out there. Help me to understand what I've... My pain, my junk, my failure, what people have done to me. Life experiences are awesome seeds to share and God will take that comfort and comfort others. Maybe it is money. Maybe it's words of encouragement. Maybe it's committed prayer. Maybe it's meals of hospitality. Maybe it's a hug. Maybe it's sharing the gospel with your mouth, with words. Um, seeds have to be given away and planted for them to grow. I love this thing. I looked up the word harvest. So the promise that Paul says is um, God will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You look up harvest and you know what it actually means? Offspring. God will give you offspring. He'll make you fertile. He'll make you fertile. We want to be fertile. We want to be a church that raises up People. Because what else is life than having a legacy of giving away the grace of God? Of doing something good. And uh, 
You know, it'll take me too long to tell the story. I'm not going to go there. But generosity is part of us seeing God producing spiritual offspring with our lives. And um, check this out. This is a video um, that should be an encouragement to you. Uh, Thanks, Inspiring, isn't it? And generosity is eternally defined by God giving His Son, Jesus, for us. That, that's what generosity is at its pinnacle. To lay your life down, that's what Jesus did. So this, this last part finishes our time in the Scripture. Verse 12, Paul writes, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So I think there's just a list of some things up here straight out of the text. What's the result of generosity? People will have their real basic needs met. Those people get to praise God. God receives praise and the people grow in thankfulness. The life of the giver is blessed through obedience. The giver is blessed because their faith is legitimised through obedience. They feel like they've got skin in the game. They're like, I'm doing this. And the people you give to, the Bible says, will bless you back. By praying for you, generosity builds community. Everyone will, it says, ultimately acknowledge the grace which has come from God to be shared among everyone. So all the glory goes back to God. And then it finishes. This indescribable gift is Jesus. It's Jesus. We've been given that gift. So what, what are we going to do with it? We started out with Zacchaeus. He said, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Salvation didn't come because he earned it by giving stuff away. Salvation came because... He received the gift. And his joy-filled response was the proof of that. Amen. So as the guys come out and prepare to lead us in some worship, how would you respond to that? Anyone have anything that they want to say in response to that passage? Even a prayer? We don't often have time to respond. And I know you get a bit worn out by the end of one of my sermons. But... um. Anything anyone feel like, I'd like to say something. I'd like to say something in response to the text.